I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and join me in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And while you're turning there for context, I want to let you know that Jesus has been spending a lot of time with his disciples up until this point. And in fact, he had just finished teaching and speaking beside a shore in parables. And so if you're with me in Mark chapter 4, Mark writes, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's our desire to hear from you today. We ask, Lord, that you would fall afresh on us. Holy Spirit, please fall afresh on us today. Fall afresh on us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning has a lot to say to us. And I'd like to suggest that it provides for our seniors and for all of us a framework for how we are to handle the storms that inevitably come in our lives and that come our way. We are all experiencing a storm right now. And for each of us, the components and the elements of our storms may vary slightly. However, I believe no matter how large or small our storm might be, there is ultimately one way to navigate a storm, and that's with Christ. Verse 35 begins by telling us that Jesus and the disciples made the decision to cross over to the other side of the sea. Jesus had been speaking and teaching in parables to a large crowd. They leave the crowd behind and they make their way towards the boat. And I love the way that verse 36 is written across various translations. And I want to slow us down a bit so that we don't miss what it says. Verse 36 says, And leaving the crowd behind, they took him, Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. Jesus suggests that they cross over to the other side. The disciples agree and they make their way towards the boat and this verse is careful to mention how the disciples took Jesus with them. Jesus had the idea and led the way, and the disciples took him with them. And this next part can be a little confusing because it then says, they took him with them on the boat as he was, which indicates that he was already in the boat ahead of the disciples. 
we know as readers of this story that they are about to enter into a major storm while at sea. They don't know this storm is getting ready to come upon them, yet they are perfectly prepared. They immediately offer for us a model for how we are to prepare for the storms that come our way. They listen to the leading of Christ in their lives. They choose to remain with Christ by taking him with them for their journey and by allowing Christ to be involved in their lives. We see that Jesus is willing to jump into our boat with us. He actively dives into our lives and gets involved in what we're doing. Please don't miss the beauty of this truth. God goes before us, and God is with us in our boat, in our lives, in calm waters, and in storms. The disciples followed Christ. They chose to be with him, and they found him to already be in their boat. Most of the time, we are not prepared for the various storms that arise in our lives. And inevitably, most of them take us by surprise. Yet we all know that storms are going to come our way at different points in our lives. So I want you to let these two verses model for you, be a model for you, in terms of how you are to prepare for a storm. We prepare by listening to the teachings of Christ, by following his lead and his direction in our lives, and by inviting him to be with us. And the further we journey, and the more that we learn that Christ is with us and has been present to us all along. Things quickly change for the disciples in the very next verse, and all of a sudden, a great storm arises, and the waves and the winds are battering their ship. It says the boat was being swamped by the storm and, for, and the disciples were concerned for their lives. And I can imagine that the disciples were totally disoriented by the change of their environment. The storm they find themselves in is not only battering their ship, but it's also challenging their peace of mind. And it's also challenging the peace they feel within themselves. They themselves are in a struggle to deal with the situation that's too big to handle. And yet they once again, once again, provide for us a framework for how we are to respond in the middle of a storm. They begin seeking Christ. I'd argue that they're clumsy and off balance, run down to the bottom and rear of the boat was a prayer. They, with their lives, were seeking Christ for help in the midst of their chaos. They took their eyes off the storm while still experiencing the reality of it, and they narrowed their focus onto seeking Christ for help. The only way we learn to narrow our focus on Christ is through a relationship with Him. The spiritual disciplines provide for us a set of tools to help us narrow our focus on God. A storm can disorient us and overwhelm us. How we respond to the storms that come our way will give an indication to how well we've prepared. One of my favorite authors, Father Gregory Boyle, says in his book, Tattoos on the Heart, that Jesus says, How narrow is the gate that leads to life. 
Mistakenly, I think we've come to believe that is about restriction. The way is narrow. But really, what it wants us to see is that narrowness is the way. It's about funneling ourselves into a central place, Christ. I love that line, that narrowness is the way. Yes, the narrowed focus of the disciples in the midst of this storm enabled them to seek their Savior. Picking back up at verse 38 again, I want to emphasize that the details of these three verses are so important. Jesus is found at the back of the boat. And I love this because we started the journey with Christ leading with the idea to go across. He led out in front. And then we found out that Jesus was already present on the boat. And now here we are and we meet our God who also protects us on all sides is now in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow of all things. The storm hits and the disciples run towards Christ for help. And when they, come, when they come upon Christ, they encounter him in the most peaceful state. He's sleeping. I get so excited when I read this part because it is beyond mind-boggling for me to consider how in the world someone could actually sleep in the middle of the kind of storm that they had found themselves in. Yet what I think is so cool here is that Jesus, here in this moment, physically represents the calm they seek. His physical presence and state of sleeping emits a radiant calm. The disciples seek Christ and then they get upset when they find him in the rear of the boat asleep on a pillow. They're frustrated and they're overwhelmed by their circumstances. And I would be too. And still what I find fascinating here is not only how calm Jesus is during the storm, but really there is no more peaceful state to be in than resting soundly asleep. The very calm the disciples were seeking from the storm, Jesus physically represents in his sleep. Not that he was passive or ignoring the storm, but he was calm and very calm in the midst of this storm. The moment when the disciples find Jesus peacefully asleep causes me to remember the way Jesus entered into our world. He entered into the storm of our world peacefully as an infant. Jesus enters into storms and chaos, not swept up by the circumstance, but with calm and composure and connection to God, and with a different message. So the disciples wake Jesus up and stressfully get onto him and challenge him about his love and care for them. Teacher, don't you know we're perishing? Jesus wakes up and immediately says, Peace, be still. The wind and the waves cease, and there's a dead calm. Jesus immediately calms everything. He hears the cry of the disciples and responds, bringing peace and stillness. He meets them in their storm, and he speaks words of life to them. I love that during the chaos, Jesus doesn't get angry and ask them before the storm calms down, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? 
I love this because it's a reminder that we learn best in, in a safe environment. We can only process and understand to the best of our ability when we are free to hear and we're free of fear. After Jesus' question to them following the calming of the storm in verse 41, it says that they were filled with awe. They have been moved from judgment and fear to awe. The pain of their storm and the pointing of fingers and questioning a seeming lack of care is eliminated. The pain they were experiencing is transformed by the truth and power of Christ. This is so important. They were deeply moved to the point that they did not follow up with statements of accusation and anger for what they went through. They don't begin arguing with Jesus about why he didn't help sooner or why the storm even happened in the first place. In their meeting with Jesus, they witness his power, his love and care, his concern, and they experience his salvation. We have here in this moment another model given to us by the disciples of what happens to our pain when we seek and experience the salvation of Christ in the midst of a storm. It gets transformed. An author and teacher I love, Father Richard Rohr, says, If we do not allow God to transform our pain, we will transmit our pain to others. One of the most important things we can do as a Christ follower is to allow God to transform our pain. It's stated often that hurt people hurt people. And I'd like to add that scared people scare people. Yet we love and serve a God who doesn't get swept up in our fear and pain. We love and serve a God who took on the pain and the sin of the world to the point of death. And the greatest transformation we could ever witness and participate in is the transformation of the pain through the resurrection. God is in the transformation business. What I see so clearly in this story is that Christ is the anchor we all need for our journey. The disciples have given us an example of how to respond to the storms that arise in our lives, and we're called to follow Christ's leading, invite him to be with us, and then discover the power of his presence. We are called to be anchored to Christ's peaceful presence in all circumstances. Back in February, the theme for our senior high retreat was being anchored to Christ. And we talked a lot about the importance of anchors. They're meant to keep a ship, a ship safe and secure at a desired location. They're meant to control a ship during bad weather. Anchors can help us stay on course, but they can also help keep us stuck in the wrong place. Today's ships have sophisticated pull systems for their anchors, yet when I think about an anchor, I always imagine one that's tied to a boat with some rope. It's not enough to have an anchor. You've got to be securely fastened to it. And I shared on our senior high retreat that the image of an anchor tied to a boat with rope caused me to wonder, what knot would you use? What knot would you tie to your anchor? You'd have to pick the strongest one you could find. 
And so after a lot of research, I learned that many folks argue that the strongest knot you can tie is the Palomar knot. It's one of the most simple knots to tie, but the payoff is great. Its strength is unrivaled by many and trusted in a variety of situations. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, have you tied yourself to Christ, who is your anchor? Seniors, especially before you head off to college, have you tied yourself to Christ, who is your anchor? We've all heard the common use of the expression tying the knot to describe marriage. It's symbolic of the strong bond being formed between two people who are crossing over into the life of the other. Two people who choose to be bound together by Christ through sickness and health. And the thing I love about knots is that there has to be a crossing over. In order for a knot to be tied, there has to be a reaching out, a crossing over, an intertwining of one side with the other. Have you reached out and crossed over to tie your life to Christ as your anchor? Back to our Mark 4 scripture, if you remember, it is Jesus who first suggests that they cross over to the other side. Jesus initiated the crossing. And Jesus initiated the ultimate crossing on the part of God in three ways. God tied the knot with humanity by reaching into our lives and taking on flesh, by dying and by rising again. This is God's effort to tie the knot with humanity, to bind us to himself, to reveal himself to us, to make a way for us to remain in him and with him through our lives. Seniors, the most important thing you can do starting now is to receive Christ as your savior and to allow him to be your anchor in all seasons. Parents, adults, and others, the most important thing you can do to encourage our seniors and to encourage others around you starting now is to receive Christ as your savior and allow him to be your anchor in all seasons. The good news is that God reaches out to us in love first and we get the chance to respond. May you grab onto and cling to our Lord and savior May every painful experience and storm you endure be transformed by the power of Christ. May you know that you are not lost at sea without hope. You are on a journey with Christ and your church family, no matter if we are physically distant here in our own community or while you're away onto what's next for you. Jesus says, peace, be still. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.